All right, it's Thursday, August 26, 2021, and the Tales from the Hood has just begun. I'm excited to share with you a lot of what's been happening in our communities. There is a lot of good, and there's a lot of upsetting revelations that have come to light that really need to be discussed and actually um, thrown out in terms of methods and how our communities are dealt with. Now, I am a systemic racism, systemic racism explorer, tongue twister, rewind. Now, I am a systemic racism explorer. When I got this title, I it was one of many other titles I normally go by. <laughs> I love hats and I became a lover of hats from a very young age. It started when I was in elementary school or was it high school? I believe it was high school. And we learned about a man named Debono and Debono had these particular theories I, I learned about in during high school doing business. My high school at the time had options for students who wanted to get into business. You could get like a double diploma or like a diploma certificate or, or something like that. You could graduate with like two papers basically that you could take with you out there in, in the world of life. So I chose this option to do so you would have to do a couple extra credits that is so and these would be business courses and i was exposed to that person de bono i think his name first name is edward and his theory particularly why in business it mattered was because he talked about the different colors of hats basically representing the different ways of thought processing and thinking so you have your yellow hat your blue hat your white hat you see yellow one white hat, blue hat. You had your black hat, um, red hat. Um, there were a couple other different color hats and each one had a different process, thought process in which you could do and exercise good constructive thinking and decision making in business. And I particularly loved it because I knew at this time I was beginning to love hats. And as I got became older and I realized, oh my gosh, this is a good way for me to exercise more creative abilities and talents I have. Me having different hats that I would wear as I go out would represent those qualities that were attributed to, let's say, those bono qualities in the the, the hat thinking for um, for each color. And so this is what I use in my life. Why I I have developed so many different skills, as well the desire to be a Renaissance woman. I found this to be so inspiring when I was younger and I worked towards accomplishing these two qualities in all that I do. And so having gone through so many different hats throughout my professional growth, career and development, Systemic Racism Explorer is one that I sort of made up. <laughs> I realized in everything that I have been doing, I have kind of been like an explorer slash researcher outside of the work that I do, but the work that I do also was about providing solutions. And if you want to find solutions, you almost instantly have to always be in, immersed in research or information so that you can always produce something efficient and effective for people. And so over the past few years, I decided to delve a lot more into this area of work as I'm working on some projects that this is going to be beneficial for. And there's a lot of a backgrounder that explains more, but for now, I'll just leave it there and continue to how the systemic racism explorer emerged. And race has always been something important to me ever since I was young. And I wanted to know why 
Caucasian or European or Anglo-Saxon people or people who are non-melanated or people who are non-people of color or other people of color that were against like dark-skinned people, you know, melanated, real dark melanated people. I really wanted to know what, what did we do in this world? White people were against us. Like it just, it didn't sit well with me as a child and just going through school and listening to the instructions, these questions were always in my mind. Like there were times I remembered that they would teach us things like, oh, did you know the scientists just did a test and they showed that apes were smarter than black people. And I'm sitting here in a classroom of like majority white people. Maybe there were like a few other Negro people as well. And I'm thinking to myself, is anyone else realizing that this just does not sound right? Why do we need to hear about some white scientists? He's probably wrong anyways, telling us that we are monkeys are smarter than smarter than us. Like this does not this this does this not seem off. So these were the kind of thoughts I had in my mind and a lot of other reasons too that propelled me to want to know the truth, which I'll explain a little bit further. Um, what are some of the key factors that drove me to want to know what this truth is about why Negroes, there was a Negro problem. <laughs> and so a lot of my decisions I did was geared towards anything that could add to this revelation. And over the course of my career and my work in the community, I discovered certain components that seemed questionable. And these questionables allowed me to pursue them further to, and to investigate further as to why they were there as questionable. And with each questionable exploration, it led to something else that led to something else and throughout the years um, led to bigger revelations as to what this Negro problem is. For those of us in large countries that are developed and uh, we'll get into underdeveloped as well, but for now we'll just consider those mid to developed countries one would expect that in their communities, there would be no homelessness, no drugs, no none of these things that plague communities. And so for me, it went from what was the quest and the truth for why people were against the Negroes and why there was a Negro problem to wanting to do my work better. And to do that, I felt I wanted to get to know the creator better. I thought if I could know the creator better, I could be a better me to be a better me for society and the help that they need versus just be a better me through some, um, the system's idea of what better you is like go out there and be successful but not care about what you were doing to yourself this idea came to mind because i remember again growing up in high school at this time early say somewhere around the 90s or so there was a big social problem in the um, older generation in terms of what was called um midlife crises and I used to find this so interesting. I'd be like, why on earth did these people have all this big career, do all this stuff, and all of a sudden, like, crash in the 40s with the midnight crisis? Like, what's that all about? So I was very interested a lot when different topics would be discussed about this, just to hear what people were going through and why they were kind of going through it. And so what I picked up overall was that they had a clash with who they were and their identity and things that they were doing and wanted to know who they were really about and what was real and what mattered. And that, that's what the crisis was about. And so a lot of these people regrettably ended up becoming drugged with prescriptions. And that was a lot of their methods into solving these issues. And so from there, really, when we start to track the current issues now, it really came out of that midlife crisis era. Right. And it took a while before people recognized what was happening in that pandemic, because it was. Um, well-to-do families and middle-class families were suffering as a result. You know, their parents were um, mentally in dysphoria, which affected the youths that they were raising, which incidentally 
I meet a lot of these children today of these parents and their stories. Their stories are all about how, um, what happened to them. A lot of them still have this hang up about what happened to them as, as youth and as children. Many of them, uh, men and women, have a lot of stories that they share of a lot of hurt that they're carrying in terms of baggage of that pain. And so it's, when I come across folks like this, it just makes me question what's really going on, you know, and they all connect in some way. And so I want to turn to the community. That's really where I'm going because over the years, a lot of these communities really start to break down as a lot of these um, pharmaceutical drugs really against the children and start to affect them as well. Um, you find them in people, in people on the streets using them to distribute and do all the other stuff, which lands into the communities. Along the way now, you're also getting a lot of the influx of the other pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceuticals, but the other drugs in, on the market. Those are coming out from the communities or the marginalized communities. And so there's this one big web just has been woven over the past 20, 30 years for real. And we're at that eclipse of it. And there is something that needs to be done about it. Now, how I got to be a systemic racism explorer is because I began to realize, wait, there's some big connection going on here behind the scenes, behind, behind like whatever is supposed to be going on. And the research just got so much more indelved in that capacity that I realized, okay, I'm actually recognizing that there is a systemic racism here. Because what happened <laughs> through my field work in marginalized communities is being, first of all, from the residents themselves, what they were experiencing to observe the environment, really. And it was more from a subjective, it was more from a place of observing and making notes and analyzing from a journalistic perspective that way. And it went from that to becoming one more of witnessing the facts of what they're saying. Now it's not just, okay, here's me writing about what's going on, folks, here's a story, you know, if somebody wants to speak about it, you know, you can't. No, it's now, this is really what's going on. And it's allowed to be go, it's allowed to continue to go on. And that is the scary part I've come to realize. It's that it's allowed to continue to go on because all the parties involved continue to let it continue to happen. And it happens so seamlessly. So like, as they say, when you think about what has been outlined as institutional racism or systemic racism, this is real. It's, and the eerie part about it is like, you're having to listen to people in these positions that say they care, but when you're really just a resident, it's completely opposite. So what I began to realize is happening is there's a big show and act of here's us doing something for people. Hey, look, we gave you t-shirts that says I'm powerful. Meanwhile, you can wear that in the environment that you've asked us to clean up that we just won't. You get what I mean? And then it's like, if you say something, it's like, oh, you're not grateful. You're not, you're, oh, don't say anything. It's since you don't like us not cleaning up this, look, we're not going to also clean up that. Oh, you have a problem with this? Okay, we're also not. It's like, it's like they take away. They take away. They take away. They not just take away from the resident each time that there's a complaint. They also add injury by trying to provoke the resident in many different facets. There's one resident I'll share with you. This, this individual shared that they actually want to like end their life because of the torture of what the res this 
landlord is doing and how they're bad. It's been too many that said the same thing. It's one thing if it was just too many that said the same thing, but now it's another I've witnessed it myself. And this is what's prompting this particular recording of tales from the hood. Because I'm letting you know what but not a lot based on the way that these people of the system are treating those that are the residents they feel for whatever reason do not serve what the residents are requesting okay so now that i've done this intro i'm going to get into some of the things that the residents have expressed that's been going on here in these communities and mind you i took you through this journey because i want to explain to you that what they're saying today has not changed from 30 years ago and it has not even changed from nearly 100 years ago so the question now is what's really going on because the people who are in positions of power you see have been acting themselves as being these virtuous people that are afraid of the negro problem or afraid of this or afraid of that or any of these types of things but yet when these individuals are coming forward for solutions they're being beat down and stepped on they're being um, robbed of the necessity for the enjoyment of their environment like actually they're taking away, like on top of it. No, we'll leave, extra, we'll leave extra days of dirt on the road, but we won't do it every day or every other day. No, we'll leave it for probably a week. So technically done. And that's the scary part of what I've realized and what led me into becoming the systemic racist next door as the title that I've used and created. Explorer part I realized is a new profession, by the way, that is, is uh, in a lot of different industries, they have different means of protect explorers, which is people who are using consciousness as a means to um, develop old, old issues and provide solutions. So when I went through this list of different explorers, I was like, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I could, I could you know what? What I'm experiencing now and the research that I've done, I think systemic racism explorer is the one, and that's and that's what I was kind of stuck with. And it seems to have really nice. Connected me to research that connects to a lot that's happening right now, which is relevant. And this type of information, most people really need to open their ears and to hear, and their hearts really feel it. So, many of the residents have expressed that these landlords are coming into their homes. It wasn't just the residents in terms of the grown ups, it was the children too. And regrettably, the day I was interviewing the grown ups, the children, um, and afterwards, were not present at the grown up interview. They came afterwards, at which of what the grown-ups had stated was just witnessing themselves and said to us, they said it so eloquently, I really wanted to record them, but based on the parents, I could not, and I could have, and then ask the parents later and then release it, but I didn't want to take that risk and violate, so, and they did ask me to record it, they wanted this recorded, but I chose to just record it in my mind to reiterate to all of you this thing. And the children eloquently stated that they're coming into their homes many times. One said that, you know, they get so angry, they said, and put their mom looks at them and says, you know, kind of old, and the mom knows how these people are. And so the mom trying to do her part to keep it so pathetic by letting them violate them, knowing it's wrong, but not knowing what to say. And so early on, this is what the children have to realize and see and, and listen. And they know about it. They know about things that's not being fixed. They know about their parks and they even had requested wood chips, which is something residents have requested actually. And I emailed this over about two weeks ago to um, 
help with the community because they might not be able to. So I emailed this list over and included the resident request of the wood chips for the parks. So when this young man, not knowing anything about this, mentions wood chips, I'm just like, okay, everything else you said was so right on. But to this detail, I said, wow. And they didn't end there with the details. They were, I was like, you should be running. You should be in office, your children. You already know what's going on. So when children can label everything to a T, how is it the grownups are acting like they don't get what they're doing? How are the adults acting like they don't get what they're doing? And then ignoring the grown-ups that are actually telling them that what they're doing is wrong. When the children identify it, everything on their own, on their own. One says that their father has to boil hot water when there's a, when it's cold water, so like he has something for to bathe with. Okay, and the theme is it's all about the renovation, because that's their story about why they always need to invade us. It's all about the renovation. Everything is all about the renovation. That's how awesome it was. I said, I am dedicating this to you. I'm going to do an article. And it will be called All About the Renovation. And so when you read this article at the letsresetnow.ca website, it's dedicated to the children because they knew. And they sat there and they said, it's all about the renovation. I felt so upset I could not record this actually being here because y'all would be laughing. You would be laughing at the same time, so touched at the fact that these children know it and called it to the teeth. You'd be moved by them because they said it so sweet, like it was a comedy. You know, it's all about the renovations. You know, they might as well just make a joke about it. It's all about the renovations. I was like, no, it's so sweet, it's so real. Get it? Now, after these children said this, and after the women said this, after years of me hearing the residents say this, we're having like an official residents and homeowners meeting.